Scripture reading for this morning is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 12. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, by showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make... You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris. Um, hello. Hello. Uh, this might get a little interesting today, only because uh, unlike the last and the only time that I preached this sermon, um, there are both parents and children in this room. Uh, last time there were only quote-unquote children and students. Uh, and depending on who you are, I think you've either really, really, really been looking forward to this commandment as you've been anticipating, or you've been really, really, really dreading this fifth commandment. And I think it's not very hard to figure out which one is who. Maybe this sounds a bit familiar to you. Pete, I already told you, you cannot go, and why you cannot go? Well, all your reasons are stupid and completely unreasonable. Well, remember what the Bible says, honor your father and mother, so do as I tell you to do. Now, though rare, my dad, when absolutely necessary when I was younger, would like to remind me that if I was a serious Christian, as I claim to be, then I should obey him because the Bible said so, and the groans, the inward groans of all the students in here are, are, are um, loud in here. That one phrase, in my opinion, is the biblical go straight to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200 card that parents hold within their back pocket. This is exactly what my dad tried to do when I told him that I wasn't going to be a lawyer and rather that I was going to become a pastor. He said, nope, you're not doing this. And then I said, well, God is telling me to go. And then he countered with, well, the Bible says to honor your father and mother. And then you can probably obviously tell how that conversation went. I didn't listen to him, now did I? Then it begs the question, what is God getting at in this commandment? No? Like what in the world does it really mean? And then if we're overarching question of the whole series, how does this protect and enhance my life of freedom? Why or for what reason does this commandment belong in the 10? Seems odd or misplaced even? How is honoring your parents so important that God chose that it was one of the 10 things that we had to do as an essential part of living a life of freedom? He's won for us from slavery. 
And I think depending on what kind of family you come from, this commandment hits a different chord. I recognize with this one commandment, maybe more than any others, the, the reactions in here are far-fetched. Some of you come from great families, which means this commandment, not a big deal. It probably means that you didn't actually do this commandment. You just got along with your parents, so it wasn't a big deal. Or some of you come from terrible families, like the one that I grew up in, which means this might be the most detestable thing to you in all of Scripture because you just hated honoring your parents because in many, many ways they gave you no reason to do so, you felt. So although this is perhaps the most straightforward commandment we have out of the ten, I don't think it's too far to say that this is probably the most misunderstood and therefore misapplied. If I told you, honor your mother and father, in all honesty, outside of just straight obey whatever they tell you to do, you have no idea what it means, do you? It doesn't make actual real-life practical sense, does it, in a real-life situation? For the students in here, when your parents tell you to go to this college, what does it mean to honor your mother and father? For the older ones in here who are married and have children and your parents tell you that they have to do it your way even though you are an adult now, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? So our customary three questions. Why this commandment, number one? What does it actually do, number two? Or what does it actually mean, uh, number two? And then three, how in the world do we actually begin to do this? So our three common questions, let's just jump right into it. And the first, why this commandment? And there's two reasons. The first one is pretty simple. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3, tells us that this commandment is the only one that comes with an explicit promise. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. A.K.A. honor your parents, because when you do, you're going to live a long time. Period. So if you ever see a person who's like 90 or 95 or 100, you can probably assume that that person honored his or her parents pretty well because that's the promise that God gives. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise, which is interesting, right, of all the 10. Do this, and this is what happens to you. So if you want to live a prolonged life here on earth, then you might want to start honoring your parents. Just saying. Reason number one. Reason number two, right, and this is, in my opinion, maybe the more important one, this, the reason why this commandment exists is because this is the key to how a society is supposed to function well. See, the tradition has it that the Ten Commandments, as you probably are aware if you've seen the movies or the cartoons or whatever, right? They were given on two stone tablets, right? And although nowhere in Scripture does it say, like, what commandments went on who, I think most people assume that it's one through five on the first one and six through ten, it's just numerically symmetrical, right? But I don't think that's the way it went. To me, right, the first one was probably one through four, the first tablet, and the second one was five through ten. As you can see in the picture, it'll be on the screen. Ta-da! One through four, and then five through ten. And that's not just because the fourth one is really long and, you know, takes up more space. The reason why this is, in my opinion, is because the, t- the Ten Commandments can be organized into two categories. You'll see it, right? The first one is the vertical commandment. Boop! Arrow. I, I did some work for y'all on the, on the things, right? First, vertical relationship between you and Yahweh, or us and Yahweh. And the second one is a horizontal one. Boop, there it is, between us and us, humans and humans. It's why, right? Also probably why when Jesus asks, what is the greatest commandment? He says, and you'll see it on the screen, love Yahweh. And the second is love your neighbor. Just kidding, I didn't include that one. I apologize, media team. I do that all the time. First tablet, love God. 
Second tablet, love your neighbor. Right? You see? Which means then that honoring your parents is the first of the second tablet. It's the first human relational commandment that we have. And it makes sense because every single person in here has a mom and a dad. Or at least you had one at some point in your life. You didn't get to this earth if you were not biologically created by a mom and a dad. Not everyone has children or siblings or extended family or friends, but everyone on the planet has parents. Even Jesus knows what it's like to have parents and therefore honor them. I know it's tough, but even those who've been abandoned by parents know what it means to have a parent or aka not have one because they feel the sting of the absence of such things. And if you've ever been to that, you know exactly what I mean. Which means then that the basic building block for society is the family. My professor says, and you'll see it on the screen, as families go, so does the society. It's why in many ways Asian cultures stress the family unit more than maybe Western ones, particularly honoring elders so much. It's a huge part. But as you also know, this, the Asian culture in many ways has abused and overused in many situations. But the reason why this commandment is in there, in my opinion, is because God has chosen to build our society and make sure that it functions well through this parental-child relationship that every single human being is supposed to go through. That's part of the design, if you just understand how things work. So what God is saying is, if you get this one right, then things in societies will go the way that they were designed. If you get this one wrong... Well, you kind of know how that goes. That's why one of the first time, one of the first things that anyone does whenever you have like a tragedy or like a you know shooter or any of those kind of things, the first thing that most people look at is what kind of family they grew up in. That's why they interview the families first. Who are their mom? Who's the dad? What kind of family they grew up in? Psychologists know that a huge, huge determinant in people's psychological well-being, first thing you look at is their relationship in their home, especially with their parents. It's just one of those things. So. I think we can clearly say that there's a good reason why this one exists. But then the second point and the second question and, and the meat of today's discussion is, what does it actually mean? Okay? What does it mean? How do we understand this? And before we get into kind of the reasons, let me first clarify that this commandment by any, and the students will love it in here, parents maybe not so much, this speaks to both parents and children. So if you're a parent, don't tune out you should listen. And then, of course, if you're a children, if a child, which all of us are, I think, um, then you should also hear it. Both parents and children need to hear this, and it's equally challenging, in my opinion, to both. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen to what it means, what God is saying to children, and then we're going to listen to what it says about parents. But all of it centers around this one word called honor. You'll see it on the screen. It's this Hebrew word, kavod. Or kaved, depending on. It means to be burdensome, to weigh, or to be weighty. Oh, ah, typo. Be burdensome, be weighty, or heavy. You read Hebrew from right to left. That's why I have that little arrow for you. I know, I'm, I'm going all sorts of crazy things today, right? It's basically this idea. To be burdensome, to be weighty, or heavy. But then, what does it actually then mean, practically? And so first, speaking to children, let's go through the three meanings that it has. First, speaking to children, and the first meaning is respect, 
To honor is to respect. Children in here, if you have parents, honoring our parents means that we must feel the weightiness, the heaviness of what it means to be a parent. Every parent in this room and every single one of y'all's parents has carried and will carry a heavy load as becoming a parent. It's why most people don't want to do it sometimes. And if you just think about the ways they bear this weight, just think about it. Parents bear the weight, and just I'm going to list them for you. One, keeping your children alive. Mason turns nine tomorrow. The first prayer of Thanksgiving tomorrow morning I'll give is, God, thank you that he's still alive. I haven't killed him yet. Just being honest, if you don't know what it is, like, where's baby Chloe? She's in the baby room. Babies can die real easily. Just, just saying. It's, so we kept them alive. Thank you, number one. But more so than that, parents have the weight of shaping our values I always say, where do you think your children got those ideas from? They got it from you, parents, sorry to say. Parents have the shape, uh, the weight of forming our self-image. I've told you the story about Mason shaping nose thing. If you don't know, ask somebody, right? Parents have the weight of building the blocks of our self-worth. Parents have the weight of helping us understand the basis of our security and significance. That's a big one. And then parents, and this is not exhaustive by any means, parents have the weight of helping us understand our initial thoughts and understandings of who God is. It's a lot. All the newly married people in here are going, nope, not begin with parent anytime soon. And to make it worse, every single parent enters into this endeavor of being a parent as a complete newbie. You don't know what in the world you're doing. It's why I'm really hopeful that I develop a pre-parenting class here for the church so that we can, the parents in the house can help the newer parents to be. This means then we as children need to give weight, heavy consideration, and therefore respect their advice and their discipline and guidance because of the weight that they carry as your parents. Just take a look at these verses in Proverbs. It makes it pretty clear. They'll be on the screen, all three of them, right? A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Listen to a father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. He who curses his father of his or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. That's a pretty serious one. Honor, first and foremost, then means to respect our parents. And let me just add this one little quick thing for a hot second. All of us, or most of us in here, are children of immigrants. Your parents are insane people. You don't move to a country where you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you don't have anything, your credentials, your academics, none of that matters in most cases. You don't go to that country and then basically do a job that's way below what you've earned and what you've educated for, and then do that for 20 years, busting your butt just to help all of us do that. You don't do that. Most sane people don't do that. Chris Kahn, who's sitting in the back who read the scripture for us, he, he, he coined, coined this phrase for me. Your parents are pioneers to every degree. They're insane people. That weight they've carried for you, most of you anyway. So respect them. Second, honor then means to obey. Oh, I said it. All the children here were hoping that wasn't going to be one of the meetings. But it's in the scriptures. I'll show it to you. Ephesians 6.1 and Proverbs 6.20. It'll be on the screen. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. We read it earlier. Or Proverbs 6.20-21. 20 My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your hearts and then tie them around your neck. It's pretty serious. We honor our parents because this is how God has structured life to work. God places parents to love 
an example and to exercise God's authority upon his behalf. Your parents, whether you like it or not, are meant to be the physical manifestation of God's love and authority over your life. That's why you ought obey. I know you don't like that one, but it is what it is. It's so serious that Paul in Romans says that disobeying your parents is a sign of a depraved world. Let me just read this for you from Romans 1. It'll be on the screen, I think. As they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, right? Basically, they're living godless lives. God gave them over to a depraved mind and to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness. So he goes over a list of things that happens when you don't have God in your life. Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and then good gracious, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, loving, and unmerciful. Thanks. Paul, for sticking that one in there. God's telling us, period, the life goes better when children obey God by obeying their parents. And the third, the way that we honor them is to care for them. As they have accepted the weight of being a parent, we accept the weight of their needs, which is different depending on the stage of life. Most of you in here, if you're a student, will fall into this first one. Your parents can plenty take care of themselves. They take care of you, right? So we care for them by protecting their reputations and covering up their faults. No more trash talking about your parents to your uh, friends. And we know this because in Genesis, I don't know if you know the story, after the great flood right, has come down, Noah was in a really good mood. So he felt like celebrating. So unfortunately for Noah, he, had, he started to drink uh, wine and he had a little too many glasses of wine and he got really terribly drunk. And then he passed out in one of his tents. And when his, one of his sons, Noah had three, right? And when one of his sons found him, Noah was chilling, passed out, complete naked in his tent. And that's very bad culturally. It's shameful and all those things. And you know what that older brother did? The, one of the brothers anyway, you know what he did? He went and got his other brothers and his other brothers helped protect Noah by entering into the tent like backwards. This is how I imagine it. Like there's a tent and Noah's like this, passed out. Entered into the back with like a blanket or a cover, right? And then they just went, boop, they dropped it. So they would just cover. So Noah ain't naked no more. I mean, he's naked, but you just can't see it. And then they walked out because they didn't want to shame him by seeing him in that state. It's not saying Noah didn't do a bad job. He shouldn't have had that much drink. He shouldn't have gotten completely drunk and he shouldn't have passed out drunk in his tent. But his sons still cared for them. We care for our parents. Let me tell you, all of you in here, we care for our parents by not shaming them, keeping their faults in-house, and only sharing it with those who can actually help in a legitimate way, which means you don't go and tell your 12-year-old or 13-year-old or 15-year-old, 16-year-old friend that your parents are acting a fool and doing all these things. Why? Because your friend ain't going to help you about their problems, are they? But when our parents get too old, which is then we're talking to all the parents in here, right? People who are sitting in the back mostly, right? When your parents get too old, we are to provide, honor them by caring for their needs. In those days, interestingly, like now, especially in Korea, if you know anything, right? Uh, If you know that, if you read the news, like children would drive out their parents after they could no longer work and provide income. Basically, as soon as they were not useful, they were kicked out. 
And then in Jesus' time, people actually started doing this because they didn't want to care for their parents, right? Well, you know what they started doing? Because caring for them a lot of times requires money. People in Jesus' time made this kind of thing. They made this uh, uh, a tradition where they would basically devote all their money to the gods or the, in the temple if you're Jewish, right? AKA, you wouldn't have any money to, left ca- to care for their parents. And Jesus in Mark 7 says, oh, we, that ain't happening. So you care for them. And in our society, and oftentimes we do this, we give a lot of our money maybe, but we place our elderly in homes. And if we're just being honest, and this is not to be mean, but you do that because they inconvenience our lifestyles, don't we? Caring for them cramps our freedom, and so we say no. But I think what God is telling us is think of all that our parents have done for us. And for the parents in this room, this one hits home hard, doesn't it? Our parents bared our weightiness. They kept us alive for many, many years. For 20 years or more, depending on how long you lived at home, they sacrificed their lifestyles, paid for most, if not all things. We completely and utterly messed up their lifestyles with our crazy eating, our dirty diapers, our being carried, being pushed around on strollers, not sleeping at night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which is why, though it is difficult... If our parents in their old age become that like an infant, we care for them like they did for us. We honor our parents by bearing the weight when they can't do it on their own. I mean, Jesus on the cross, no less, does so. Do you remember when he looks at John as he's about to die and he goes, behold, your mother, he literally transfers his motherhood or her motherhood over him, Jesus, over to John. And John immediately says, took her into his own house and took care for her. Honoring means to care. Again, and this is really sad because in Korea, a society that's supposed to be family unit first, they're, from what I'm hearing from my parents, I think they're just scared. That's, they're being elderly or just being kicked out all over the place. So one of the reasons why my mother-in-law lives with me. She's divorced and single, so I want her to enjoy her last however many years of life she has on earth as joyfully. It's why my parents, I'm trying to do my best, and I think they're about to move to Houston. Why? It's because it's in Scripture. I'm just trying to do. And in many ways, you can call me selfish, but I'm trying to live a long time. Me? But before we get all too excited about all this stuff, and parents, especially in the back, get all too excited, you have to know, and you'll be on the screen, that this honoring or obeying is not absolute in any way, shape, or form. Honor and obeying and respect is resolved or re, uh, sorry, reserved for God alone. Parents in the room, let me tell you, as children get older, as you also wanted your parents to do for you, as they get older, they have to weigh, we have to weigh God's input more than your input as parents. Children in here, students in here, as you get older, you have to input God's input more than your parents' input. The first commandment is that God is ultimate, which means the parents, unfortunately, we are not. Jesus makes it pretty clear in Matthew 10, it'll be on the screen. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Can't get any more clear than that. Jesus is not pinching words there, is he? Jesus has the last word on my life, not my parents. The great example of this is a marriage. That's why in in Genesis it says that the husband and the wife, they will leave mother and father and they will cleave, literally cling, glue themselves onto one another. Why? Because that's the most primary relationships. Unfortunately, in many Asian households, this does not go so well, especially where, unfortunately, we live in a culture where, you know, chin, you know, like the, uh, the, the paternal side, they have all the respect and they get all the thing, right? Paternal grandmothers and pater- paternal mothers apparently can do whatever they want. 
to their daughters-in-law no matter what, and then the sons don't do anything to protect them. That's not the way it's supposed to go. Even for Jesus, we see this respect. We see his respect and obedience that is to God more than his parents. We know the story, right? When he's young, he goes to Jerusalem, and then when they're leaving, Jesus stays back in the temple, and then all of a sudden, you know, Mary and Joseph were bad parents, apparently. When they realize, like, halfway down the road, when, you know, when they're long gone, they're like, hold on, oh my goodness, where's Jesus? And they're like, oh, shoot. And then they go back, and they basically find him, and then when they find him, they yell at him, and they go, what are you doing to, like, why have you done this to us? You know, you know, like, and you know what Jesus says? He goes, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be my father's house mic drop? Like, that's literally what Jesus is doing. God is more important or more absolute than his parents. But of course, you have to know, because Jesus is Jesus. Right afterwards, scripture says that he submitted to them. And Mary treasured these things in her heart. Our respect and obedience must always line up with God first. Let me tell you that, number one, which means for our children to respect and obey They must be in line with God's ways more than ours. Or parents, you're causing them to dishonor, disrespect, and disobey God as as they honor and respect and obey us. One of my biggest laments is that we live in a society as Asian people and as immigrants, I get it, that we as parents, we push our kids to idolize their, their education and their success more than they give it to God. We're not doing our duty. Now, then let's see what this commandment speaks to the parents. Parents, I think you figured out by now that Scripture is a series about how parents treat the children as they are children treating their parents. Let me give you a couple examples. Ephesians 6, 4 says on the screen, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pretty simple. Colossians 3, 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. So again, then we ask, what does this mean for parents to then honor their children? And again, three meanings, in my opinion. First, honor equals respect, just like the other way around. Parents, you must recognize the weightiness of your children as people, as persons made in the image of God. Don't belittle them. Children, and this one's hard, I know, but let me just tell you. Children are not an extension of your ego as a parent. They are uniquely made in God's image as their own. Children are not things that we mold into our image, but people created in Yahweh's image. Hmm. Which means that we must respect them by letting our children at some point, sooner than you probably think, be people to become, in many ways, our peers as they were created to be. My friend B, he was here and he spoke at the retreat, this past retreat, and he spoke here on Sunday. He told me the story where he was kind of going over some of these things in Ephesians, the relationships. And then one, one girl got so excited because she realized that her mother was not just a mother, but she was her sister. And for the girl, it meant that there was this relationship that she didn't have. She didn't have any sisters, apparently, in real life. So she went straight to her mom after service and was like, Mom, Mom, like, oh my, oh my, like, Mom, Mom, did you know the Bible tells us that you and I, we're just not, we're not, we're more than mother and daughter. We're, we're like sisters. We're so close. And you know what mom did? Slapped her and said, I'm only and always only your mom. Respect your children by respecting their personhood. Second, 
to honor as a parent, then it means to seek out God's will for your children. Parents in the room and students, you're asking yourself probably this and the answer hopefully is good, but have you ever considered God's dreams and plans for your children more than your own? I've told you the story, but when I first was asked what, may, what I wanted Mason to be, I told him I don't care. And people were like, what do you mean you don't care? And I was like, as long as he loves Jesus, then it doesn't matter to me. And they're like, well, you surely must want him to be something. And I said, no, I, don't, I really don't care. And again, I told you, in that moment, God gave me this image. What, is, what, what happens if Mason, who's 16, comes to me and says, Dad, God is calling me to be a missionary to the people of the Amazon that are cannibals. What am I supposed to say? We would pray. And if God's leading him there, then guess what? That's what he's got to do. It's not my life. Right? What's God's dreams for our children? What's their mission? What's their calling? That's why Proverbs 22.6 on the screen says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We've gone over this a, a long time ago in another sermon. But this is the way it's meant to be. Right? And what this is saying is that, it's, is that we as parents need to help discover the way that my child, he or she, is supposed to be, a.k.a. the way that God has meant them to be, made them to be, created them to be. The verse literally says, and I'll switch it up on the screen for you, train up your child according to his or her bent, and he or she will not depart. If you figure out the way that God has made our children, then they will never depart from that image. I tell you this story, when Mason was really young, I'm really big on discipline and the whole honoring of the elder things. When Mason was literally, I, I, my wife will probably tell me, was he one or two? Or he was like 18 months or whatever. He was really young. And we were at my uh, parents' house. Like, it was like the first time they really ever met him. And my parents were over and they had all their friends. They were going to Rockets and my dad likes his beer. So they had a couple beers. So, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. And then I wanted my son to go and, and inside to bow to my parents and he wouldn't do it. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, like, I was like, no, we're not having this. This is how we're doing it. So I made him and he wouldn't, like he was, afraid, crying hysterically. I gave him a couple of memes, I know. And he still wouldn't do it. I gave him more and he still wouldn't do it. And I was like, what in the world is going on with this kid? I was so frustrated. I, could see, I feel my anger brewing. So I went back into my room and I started praying. And then God said, do you even know your son? Have you recognized a fearful cry versus a disobedient cry? That day I learned the difference between an hysterically fearful cry and a I don't want to listen to you kind of cry. And it was the first. I was trying to make Mason do things he wasn't ready to do. I repented real hard. Now, if you know him, God is bringing out all sorts of crazy things. As a nine-year-old, he's got a man bun, all sorts of, I don't know what's going on with the kid. But anyways, that's a whole other story. Our job as parents is to discover our children's unique bents, their characteristics, their gifts, their wirings, and train them to according to that. I have three children, guaranteed, all from the same sets of parents, and they're all very different. Which means that we as parents have to first understand, appreciate their uniqueness before we can train them. When's the last time you just observed your kids? I know, maybe it sounds weird, but just watch them, and I watched how they function. Watch how they do things. If you grew up in a house with many, many siblings, I'm sure, maybe this happens to you, but every single one of your parents thought that you should all be the exact same, a.k.a. you should be like the oldest one if the oldest one's the best. Or if the oldest one sucked, then you shouldn't be like the oldest one, you do the opposite. Like, that's how parents do it most of the time, isn't it? But our job is to understand our kids in the way that God has made them. Mason is really smart intellectually, but he's a book smart guy. He loves to read, but he's very by the books. Connor, not the most book smart, but emotionally health and spiritual awareness, dude, it's through the roof. 
And then Kara, she go, she, well, she's crazy. But she's not like her brothers, let me tell you that much. You gotta learn. Which means then our primary concern as a parent is to nurture our children's relationship with God above everything else. Why? Because God is the only one who knows your child or your children exactly the way that he or she is supposed to be. And how else are we supposed to know how we are made unless we draw closer to the one who has created us? So, so parents, that's what you're supposed to do. For a little exercise, parents, you might want to go check out a song called uh, The One You Need by Shane and Shane. The, the band that we love so much here, he wrote this song when he first discovered that he was gonna have a daughter. You go listen to it, you might cry. Or this little thing, my professor's dad, Daryl Johnson's dad, apparently he told me the story. He gave him a pocket Bible when he was about to go to college. You know what it read? On the inside of the thing, it read this. Here is the story of a man who can do far more for you than your dad. Seek God's will for your children. That's how you honor them. And third, Honoring God, or honoring, our, sorry, our children means to honor God with our own lives. That's the wrong one. Oops, sorry. It's okay. That's probably my fault. God taught me that more than what I say and what I teach or what I discipline, that my, my children, they will see and experience God and what they see or experience will impact them more than what I say or what I teach. Our children, in my opinion, are the best at deciphering who our true gods are. Hmm. Parents in the room, your children see right through you. See, we can tell them until we're blue in the face that God is the most important thing, that he is our source of security and identity and all of that. But if you push academics on them, guess what? They will know. Because then they're going to be like, oh, you do this because you want me to provide for you when you're, when you're old. You want me to do this because if I fail, if I don't become the kind of person you want to be, then you failed as a parent. It's really not for me, but it's for you. If you tell them that God is everything, but your insecurities are found in your work or your money or your home or your success, then your, your children, they will know. It's not that hard to tell. I asked my dad once, why did you really want me to become a lawyer? Is it really because you wanted what's best for me or was it because you had something to do with it? Because your reputation as a father had something to do with it. And thankfully, because we're in so much of a better place, he said, I'm sorry. It was more the latter than the first. It's why if anyone asks me what I want my children to know most about me, and I've said this to you, it's not that I, their father, their daddy loves them so much, but it's that I, their father, and their daddy loves God more than anything else in the world. Don't you get it twisted. The honoring of our parents and our children, folks, if done right in every single way, shape, and form, ultimately then helps us to honor and respect and love our God making him the one and only. That's why this commandment is so important. Which then, of course, makes sense why this is the only way the world is supposed to function. Hmm. So then, question number three, how do we do this? And this is some practical 
things that I'm going to lead you through. I want you to go home and pray this this week. Because again, if you have a great relationship with your parents, you probably have a great relationship with them, but you have no idea what it means to honor them because you just had a great, great relationship with them. If you have a terrible relationship with them, then honoring them means something and it's going to be very difficult. So I would like for you to practically pray this. And if you need the thing, the, the video will be up hopefully in a couple of days and you can re-access it, but if not, jot these down. First thing, how do we do this? Ask God for the grace to see our parents or our children the way that God sees them. This is so important. I told our seniors just a little bit ago, right before service, that the colleges that they go to don't actually determine a whole lot of who they are in the long run. The last time anyone asked me what school I went to was literally like 12 years ago. Nobody cares at this point. But I also asked them, how many of you have in the room if you didn't get into the college of your dreams or their dreams, how many of you feel like your parents would not, like, would look at you just a little bit less? And more than half of the people in the room, they said, this is a generation, low-key? But they all agreed that their parents probably would react that way. See them the way that God sees them, which is through Christ, of course. Because only when we do so, we will actually be able to honor them the way that they were designed, the way that God honors us. See, if God honors us, how dare we dishonor them? So ask God for that grace. This is huge. And the second thing, ask God for the grace to find godly ways to honor our parents and our children. Simple question. Have you ever asked God the way that you should honor them? Have you ever asked your parents the way you should honor them? Have you ever asked your children the way they would like to be honored? Because you know, for every single person, it's different. I hope you know. Ask God to reveal to your heart. Parents in the room, some of your kids, even though they may not act, it, act like it, really don't care if you give them stuff. All they want is a hug and an I love you and I'm proud of you. If my dad would have told me one time when I was growing up that he loved me and he was proud of me, it would have changed my life. He just gave and gave and gave and gave. It's what he knew. But if he would have asked, I would have told him, I don't need all this stuff. Children, have you ever asked your parents how they would like to be honored? Like, it's kind of like the same thing with husband and wives. I don't ever get my wife or my mother-in-law flowers because they hate them. It's not a thing. You know what I get from my mother-in-law when I want to honor her? Bread. It's as simple as it gets. 85 bakery, one trip, does the trick. Ask them. Figure it out. Try to see. I don't want anything from my kids. I really don't. The only thing I want from my kids, literally, is that they with their mouths would tell them and tell me that God is great. Ask them. And then third, and the most difficult, and this one we're going to pray through a little bit as I invite the praise team up in a hot second. Don't move yet. For those of you who have had difficult relationships with your parents, or those are ones in here, parents who have difficult relationships with their children, and again, trust me, I know what this is like. Ask God for the grace, you'll see it on the screen, to take steps towards healing those relationships. 
Now, if you're going to actually follow these three and you're a part of a terrible relationship with your parents, then I would do number three before you get to number two, right? Kind of flip the order. But I, I've told you this story before, and I'll just briefly go over it, and then we'll finish here. It wasn't until I finally asked God to fix my relationship with my dad that he actually answered and did it. Because I had no desire to fix it. I wanted him to fix himself. Until I actually asked God what I could do to honor him, to have a father-son relationship, God didn't show me what I needed to do. And then after he showed me, literally, I'm telling you, and you know the story, I drove all the way across the country and I got into the room. Our conversation lasted 30 minutes and 30 minutes is done. That was 2008, October. And I have not yet to fight with my dad once. Not a single time. This is maybe TMI, but this past weekend when I was in Virginia, all I did was I did my work, which is a officiate a wedding, and I preached at another church on a Sunday, and every single night I spent time with my parents. And it got to the point where at the end of the day, and this is, maybe this is really unfortunate, but they were attending a really unhealthy church and a really unhealthy pastor, and I told them, as your son, I would be negligent not to tell you that you are living an unhealthy Christian life. This church had gotten so small and corrupt, they were at meeting at my parents' house, and I basically looked at them and I said, if you care about your spirituality, if you care about your health, mom and dad, then you cannot do this anymore. And I gave him the biblical reasons. I ran it all down. And my dad, he's a staunch, like, respect your father type. You know what he did the next day? He went up to his pastor and said, Pastor, we can't meet in my house anymore. I'm sorry. Want those relationships to be healed? And watch out, because God will start to move if you actually want them to be healed. One of the major reasons, and we finish here in praise team, you can come up and, and get ready. One of the major reasons why we are intergenerational in here is because this, this old honoring the young and young honoring the old is a fundamental building block to the way God wants life to be. Period. Parents in the back and wherever y'all are sitting, I hope your goal changes and your prayers change that the thing that you want from your kids and with your kids is nothing else. Not even that they would love you, but that they would love the Lord and honor and respect God and therefore then they would respect you and that you would also pray that your kids would want nothing more than that you would love God. My youngest daughter, Kara, got in really big trouble yesterday because she was acting a fool and really selfish. I took away all her toys And this morning, she woke up, and I walked into her room, and I said, hey, baby. And she goes, hi, Appa. Good morning. I go, good morning. How are you? She goes, good. And she goes, are you leaving? And I was like, yeah, I'm about to head out. So I got her. I got a kiss, which is what I always get. And then as I'm leaving, my, my daughter said to me, my four-year-old daughter said to me, I told you, she's crazy. She goes, Appa, worship well and preach well. Bye. I have no choice but to do this job well. If, But do you see? That's it. Her concern is that I would love God. So family, can we begin to be this kind of family? Parents in the back and the older ones in here, when you worship, can you begin to be the older influences to our young ones here, honoring and respecting them in such a way? And children and students in here who have parents, all of us, I hope, do. 
Can you begin to honor them the way that you honor God? And through this, little by little, our church changes. Little by little, the world changes. And little by little, God's kingdom comes. That's a life of freedom and joy and goodness. So would you take a moment? We can leave that on the screen for a hot second. Give us a couple minutes just to pray. And wherever you fall within this, I pray that you would pray these prayers. But be careful. Don't pray them if you ain't ready. Ask God to prepare your heart because God will move if you want to. And then we ask that God would change and move within this place. So take some time, reflect, and then the praise team, as always, will lead us out in a time of response.